0: The following message is presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Now the message. The message of that song, I hope you got to hear the message of that song, is that no matter how far you are away from God, no matter how deep you're in despair, no matter how much trouble you've been through, uh, no matter how much worry has been piled on you, you can turn to Jesus and He's there for you. Y'all believe that's true? That's the story we've been preaching on for about a month now. We've been going through uh, Luke 15, talking about the prodigal son that went off, he took all this money and he spent... Everything that he had, he indulged in a sinful lifestyle, and he lived in such a way that he found himself in literally the gutter of life, and he was in a very difficult situation. Um, Because he was in that difficult situation, he had nowhere to turn except for what he remembered and that relationship he had with his father. Just like that song. Just like that song. You can turn to the father when you're the farthest away from him. Those that are far from him can, uh, can be redeemed. That's, a, that's an honor, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, uh, a blessing that we have in life, being believers, knowing that we can't go to the Lord. Uh, I've struggled with, I should even uh, talk to you about this confession I'm going to make to you today. Because uh, you know I'm not going to do something crazy, just so you know. I want to prepare you. But this confession is a little bit crazy to me. That um, I, I spend a lot of time in places with prodigals driving through uh, cities that are, are full of prodigals on campuses, college campuses, where people are running from God and they're living very much the lifestyle that we talk about with the prodigal son. They're doing things that are harming them. And you want to tell them to turn back, turn back from that to the Lord. And the Lord will, will gather you in uh, as a hen gathers the chickens in and love on you and take care of you and lead you in the right path. I see that almost every day. And then the last month or so, uh, I, as I was uh, preparing this message, I found myself also traveling a lot to New Orleans. Now, when you're in New Orleans, uh, you can find just about anything there. You can find, for sure, the best food in the world. You can also find some of the nicest people you've ever met. I listened to a pastor preach from there Thursday night. Probably one of the best messages I've ever heard uh, on the church. This, uh, there's a lot of great things there, but there are also a lot of bad things there you all agree with me on that? And it's not hard to find it. You can drive down a street. You've got kids in the car. You're having to reach over and put your hand on their eyes because there might be something that they see in the the doorway of a building that you're just driving by casually in the middle of the day. I've been working on a house down there that belongs to uh, my daughter, and uh, she's um, trying to get that ready to sell. So every little trip I'm down there, I do a little more work. And as I'm uh, walking out on the porch, I have to time it just right to get my work done while I'm there bringing things out to the truck and loading it up. Because as I bring it out, inevitably, somebody's going to walk down the street right in front of our house and ask me for money every time. And that's not just every trip down there. That's every trip to the kitchen and back to the truck. Something's happening like that. There's two particular men that I've made friends with that are in that neighborhood. Uh, by, um, usually by about 11 in the morning, they're so drunk that you can't understand a word they're saying. Now that's good because I can't, I can pretend I didn't understand, stand that they asked me for $10. But we have conversations, and earlier in the day, the conversations are very good. As uh, the day goes on, not so good. Thursday night, I was at, uh, at Tulane in our ministry there for a uh, worship service. And that was a spectacular event. You know, I had 60 students crammed in a room, having dinner together, speakers speaking at the front of the crowd, uh, uh, with people from all around the world at the table, some of the smartest people you've ever been around, these, these uh, young students. And that was a, a really encouraging, uplifting time. But I left that and went over to my daughter's house to pull the last load of, of furniture and junk out of that house. And I thought... Ten o'clock at night, it's going to be okay. Because already you know better, right? So as we're doing our work, my son meets me over. We're loading things up, and he lives down there as well. And he, um, uh, a guy comes up, sits down on the porch where we're loading, and said, um, uh, "Do you have any food? I need some food." Well, that's that's a that is a better question than can I have ten dollars, didn't it? That's a much easier question to answer. My son's a doctor, so he immediately uh, rec- recognized this guy was in a little bit of distress. His distress was uh, mostly he had been walking all day long, all around town. He was dehydrated. So he went in the house and got a great big uh, jar and filled it with water, and the, and the guy drank all that water, and, and, he, and he was instantly better. And he said, can you help me get some food? And my son, who is infinitely more compassionate than I am, you know, people have spiritual gifts, and uh, he's got that one, and I don't. Okay, he's he's instantly sees that need. He's the kid in high school that was, you know, the sports star, but also he started the environmentalist club because so he wanted to help the earth. Uh, he uh, So he he sees this guy, and he thinks, hmm, he's low on electrolytes. electrolytes so I need to help him out somehow. We need to figure this out. So we take him down to a local store. He buys him a cheeseburger because he wants a cheeseburger. Uh, I instantly say, uh, Jared, I'm going to get him some food for the rest of the week. And uh, Jared's a healthier person than I am, so I bought him a big stack of Vienna sausages. Uh, Because, you know, instantly I'm clicking in mode. You know, this guy's about my age, maybe a little bit older. He doesn't have all of his teeth. Vienna sausages is a pretty good meal when you don't have all your teeth. It's a pretty good meal. So I loaded him up, and Jared loaded him up with some things. uh, And we were out in the parking lot, and he was giving him some advice medically, and I was uh, talking to him just a little bit, not as much as Jared. And um, I was pulling a trailer that had a church logo on the side of it. And that church logo that was on the side of it instantly branded me somebody. Whether it was my trailer or not, I was branded. And he said, uh, he said are you a pastor? And I said, uh, yeah, I am. I'm a pastor. He goes, could you pray for me? His name's Wilbur. And Wilbur and I were standing there in the parking lot. And Jared was there with me. And uh, so at about midnight on Thursday night, I'm in a part of town that, uh, that I am normally very guarded about. I'm afraid I'm going to get shot. I, I, it's it's, it's, a, a, it's a, a phobia that I've got. I'm going to get into a situation that I should not be in. So I'm there in this parking lot. All of us circled up in a hug, praying for Wilbur that, he, that the Lord would take care of him. And um, it was a moment where the Lord was present. So I got in the car, and Jerry went one way and I went the other way, and Wilbur went off to his tent that he lives in. and um, he, and I was in that car, and I thought, "Lord, I do not. I have not cared about the prodigals like I should. I've not cared enough. Um, I'm a little bit calloused to this. I see it so much. I mean every day, I see it every day. People are going to take advantage of you, lie to you, so they can get a few dollars out of you, so they can go down and buy whatever they're going to buy to get that fixed for that day. And you just get callous to it. So I ask the Lord to take the calluses away. Take the calluses away so I can see the prodigal. And I can grieve over the prodigal. So that I uh, care about them the way Jesus cares about them. So when you say that, uh, by the way, that's the confession. The pastor ought to care more than I do. They really should. Um, but the, the constant barrage of people struggling, you have to distance yourself a little bit from it emotionally. So I've distanced myself a little bit. The Lord used that, He uses situations like that to teach you something to teach you that uh, there are hurting people all around us, and we need to love them with the love of Jesus. Now, you know those people here in this town. They're everywhere, all over this state, people that are strayed, people that are away from God. Being a member of a church is not about being uh, above and holy and righteous above everyone else. It's about being the hands and feet of Jesus in this world and touching people's lives and realize that they hurt. And when you realize they hurt and they have troubles and... um, It helps you be a a better example of a Christian. I do something when I come here. I try to go to a gas station or, by the way, if you don't know, I drive 90 miles to come to church. And when I get here, I try to go to a gas station or a grocery store or a um, fast food restaurant first and talk to somebody because I want to see the people that live here. I don't want to just be a fly-by pastor that comes in and preaches and leaves uh, and is gone in a few months. I want to know the people that are here because I want to see the people that need Jesus. And they're everywhere. They're everywhere. So thinking about grief grief all week and how we all go through grief. And by the way, today's supposed to be about parents and family members grieving over the prodigals in our families because we have them. We have prodigals that are away from him, that have strayed, that have made choices, that are spending everything they own, spending themselves into debt, that are caught up in sin. They're all in our families and we somehow we cope with it the best we can. And sometimes we react well and sometimes we react poorly. But it's okay for you, it's okay for you to grieve that someone in your life is away from God. Grieve that someone is away from God because God grieves for those people too. He cares about those people. Grief comes at all kinds of levels. All kinds of levels. When I think of grief personified in a small, maybe a small safe way, I remember the, a time that Karen and I we had the kids in, the, uh, in our car and we needed a new car. And we were going to travel over, we went to Ryan Chevrolet in Monroe. We had uh, gotten groceries, I believe, our groceries were in the back, and um, we were driving through town, pulled up in the parking lot, and another family was doing the exact same thing we had done. They had shopped for groceries, too. And something transpired there in that parking lot that changed our family's way of communicating with each other about grief. I, I brought something with me today just to show you that you've been around, you know that I do this kind of thing because last week I sprayed a cologne up here that the smell is still here. It smells a little bit like cigarette butts and a burnt cactus up here right now. Okay, I brought pickles. Pickles are important in our family and uh, our our Texas family for sure. Uh, These are best-made pickles. I don't know, can you get best-made pickles here? Yeah, this is supposed to be, these are the best for us. It's our favorite. There's all kinds of of different pickles. Uh, I have a brother that the very first solid food he ate was a pickle. And he's still eating pickles. He's like 45. Um, Would rather have it than a taco, I think. Uh, So pickles were a big deal. And when I was younger as a child, uh, they were such a big deal. When we go to the grocery store once a week, maybe, maybe once every two weeks, uh, and get all your groceries you needed, um, you had all this stuff piled in the car in bags. And back then, it was paper sacks. And paper sacks would hold some things. It didn't hold all things. And there was occasions when the pickles, they were in a smaller jar than this, of course. They were in a, uh, a jar about half the size of this. There was occasions that the bottom of the, of the bag would rip and your pickles would fall out and hit the ground and break. Anybody ever had that happen to them? Must be just a Texas thing because of all the rocks. It happened to us all the time. So in that parking lot at Ryan Chevrolet, um, this the the kids in the car next to us got out, and as one of the little girls got out, and they opened up the back um, of the truck or the of the SUV, the tailgate went up, and the groceries had shifted, and they rolled, and the and the pickle jar rolled out. It rolled out of the out of the SUV onto the ground, and it was an instant splatter of glass and pickles everywhere. And the response that happened is exactly what happens when we go through some uh, terrifying, shocking things in our life. But on this little five or six-year-old girl that was standing there, uh, this is exactly what happened. The first thing was her hands went up in the air to her face, and then she screamed out, My pickles! That's the phrase that stuck with our family the rest of life. Every time something tragic would happen flat tire, or whatever, we, somebody would shout, my pickles. So there she, she, she was shocked by that. And by the way, that's the first thing that happens to you when you uh, go through an experience of grief with a family member that you've discovered that they've gone astray. you discovered they've made some choices that are very damaging in their life. It's shock. You're shocked by that. If you know the uh, the whole grief process, I saw I watched that grief process work out in that kid's life. The next thing was denial. I could see it going through her little head. Maybe it was the sauerkraut that crashed, but it wasn't. It was the pickles. We want to deny that this is the case with our family member. Maybe it's just a short phase. Maybe it's just something happening that's not that's going to change quickly. Then next is anger. I'm going to tell you, I saw anger more in that little girl about those pickles than any other emotion. She was hot. Her pickles were gone. And then bargaining, begging for the parents to go back and buy more. And then sadness, because there was lots of crying going on. Lots of sadness and crying. And then finally, acceptance. But I don't think I ever saw that kid go through acceptance. But you know all that goes through our head and our mind when we grieve over people in our life. That are lost, that are away from the Lord. I will to give you a couple of things to think about from Scripture, and you can go to Matthew 23, and Matthew 23 is, is discussing, talking about the Pharisees, uh, the people of God, the people of Israel that are so far from Him that they have, uh, they don't live a life that looks anything like Jesus. They live lives of judgment and judging other people. They live lives of duty that has nothing to do, and religion that has nothing to do with relationship with God. They live lives uh, lives of anger and and forcing people to act certain ways. And they they live this life that is not the picture of what God would have them live. And you go back into the Old Testament, and it mentions the Old Testament as well. You have the book of Judges. The whole book of Judges is about God's people... Trying to find something better than obeying God. And God having to send a judge to come in and get them back in line again. It's all through the Old Testament. You see, God's people straying from Him. The book of Hosea is about that. Is a living illustration of the people of Israel that are straying from God, that wants that He's drawing them back with love to Himself. And in verse 37 of Matthew 23, he says this. Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you weren't willing. The Lord knows what it means to have prodigal children. We've been the prodigal children. People of Israel were the prodigal children. He knows what it means. And He grieves with you as you live and love someone that's strayed away. We'll give you just a few points you can write down in your notes, if you would, on 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 the bulletin. You can say from the Word, the Lord grieves with you. He grieves with you. Second thing is the Lord is in control of your situation. If you turn to Psalms, chapter 71, verse 20 and 21. Psalms 71, 20 and 21. and This is in the NIV. Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again from the depths of the earth. And you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once more. We see uh, testimonies that get celebrated all the time of someone who has been so far away from God. They come back to Him. They become speakers. And as they share their testimony, it is a, uh, they are restored right in the eyes of God and in the church. They see the Lord working in their life. The Lord is in control of your situation. He's in control of this prodigal in your life. He's, that person belongs to Him. Here's the third thing. This trouble you're going through is blessing you. That may not feel like it's blessing you. You may not feel like that, that pain, that hurt, that child that's hurting themselves is helping you. But this is what's happening. When you're going through that, every day is a new day you have to trust God. It's just a new day. I've um, been, been uh, struggling with getting old, like some of us do. I've got things that don't work anymore. One of them is my left knee. And this left knee is struggling. It's got a, a, a little cartilage tear in there. It's going to have to get cleaned up. I talked to Jared about it, my son, my, uh, son that likes to give doctor advice to everybody all the time. Don't call him. I'm not sure it's good yet. He hasn't totally graduated he said, "Well, what you need to do about that knee is you got to do something to get your quads, your thighs stronger. The stronger you get them, the better that that pain will be in your knee because that that muscle will hold that that kneecap in place. When it holds the kneecap in place, it won't move around as much and you won't feel that sharp pain." What he was saying to me was, "You got to start working out." Okay? When you work out, when you lift weights, when you do those things, when I If I walk every day, walk upstairs, whatever it might be, making those muscles stronger is going to ultimately bless me. But it is painful to walk. It hurts. When you go through this walk with a prodigal, and you pray every day, and you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, please turn them back to you. Help them see the error. Help them to see the the trouble that they're headed into that every day that you do that, you're working out the muscles of your spiritual life. You're getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and the Lord is blessing you. You may not see it, but you're being blessed by the troubles that you're going through. So what I do in the meantime, this is what I do, is I wait on the Lord. Lamentations 3.26 says this, It's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good. I'm waiting quietly that He is going to show Himself true someday and we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate this for re- this person redeemed. That whole book of Lamentations 3 is worth reading. If you want to read Lamentations, you know, Lamentations can be a little bit depressing. I walked in on one of my programs, I believe it was at Louisiana Tech BCM when this happened, and they were having an event. That night, they have a little trivia night and some things, you know, trivia party. And then they show uh, words on a screen. And the words are uh, the message version of Lamentations or lyrics from a Taylor Swift song. So you got a Taylor Swift song or it's, it's Swift or Lamentations. And the kids have to vote which one they are. And almost uh, apparently all of her songs are sad. I didn't know that. I don't listen to a lot of it. Apparently, her songs are stressed out and sad and mad about things. Um, Lamentations is a lot about struggles and troubles in the world. But this book, chapter 3, is about waiting on the goodness of God in the midst of terrible times. There will be terrible things happen. You wait on Him and He shows His goodness. I subscribed to a um, or joined a Facebook group, which is dangerous, but I, uh, I joined one for Parents of Prodigals. When I started studying this, I found that group, joined that, and started reading the stories. And it is a journey into depression, reading those stories. It's sad. Parents that are hurting, they're, they're Upset, they wonder what they did wrong, what could they have done different, what can they do next? Well, what happened in the in the past called, to cause this to happen they 're going through that, and they 're playing that out loud, telling these most raw secrets of their life uh, publicly on Facebook. but in the process, I, I saw a lady reference Ruth Graham and i went I looked into her life she she uh, quoted a, a poem by billy graham 's wife and she had a prodigal in her life. One of her children was a prodigal child. And she, that, it was a five-year period. And that five-year period, she grieved greatly over that child's life and choices. And she wrote a bunch of poems. And I, I read the poems. They don't sound like poems. They just sound like statements to me. They're not going to rhyme, just so you know. But here are the words of Ruth Graham talking about her, her, her prodigal child. First, she says, it's important to have a plan. What am I going to do to help redeem this person, help bring this person, woo this person back to the Lord and create a plan? And there is, uh, there's all kinds of things involved in that. You probably need to Google that and read her, her process. But this is the first thing in having a plan. She says, I will encourage. Keep communication open at all times. Let them know they are loved. And welcome at home, always. Well, isn't that a good thing for a church to do, by the way? It's not just about the little family. It's about the big family. So I will, as a church member, I will encourage people who are straight away. And I'll keep communications open with them. Won't put up walls of righteousness that keep them away from the church. I will commit. I will commit to encourage them. Then she says this, Permit the children to disagree with me, provided they do it respectfully. And sometimes they're right. Make a clear distinction between moral and non-moral issues. Encourage. And then she says in the second point, your own walk is, is most important. Your own walk with God matters. Don't worry so much about someone else that you neglect your relationship with Jesus. Spend time with Him. Spend time with your spouse and your family members. Don't neglect that. Don't neglect your quiet time. This pastor that preached at Tulane Thursday night said that there's a survey that surveyed 40,000 Christians. And of the 40,000 Christians that were surveyed, uh, one one of the statistics that popped up out of this, this study said that if a person spends four or more days a week reading one scripture, they have a closer walk with God and are more likely to tell others about God. You go to three days a week, and it's dramatically less. But at four days a week, and uh, he said the the study showed that it was just one passage. But you know, that if you you read one scripture, you're probably going to read a few more. You're probably going to get a little pericope in you know a whole paragraph a little story in so when you do that you're spending some time with the lord you do that four days a week you're a person that is growing with god so do not neglect your time with him ruth's ruth's third point is this is that worship and worry can't live in the same heart so when you're worried about that person worship and worry cannot live together Let go of that and let God take control of that when you spend time in the Word and when you're here at church and you're in worship with other people. There's always hope. Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That's a passage to claim. Lord, give me hope. Give me hope for that person. The last thing she says is miracles are God's department. Miracles in people's lives. We can't control that. We can't manipulate that. We can't make them something that they're not. That's the Lord's work. And no, nothing works better than the Holy Spirit in people's lives. No argument is as good. No rational discussion is good. If you've seen those um, internet memes to say uh, they're trying to be sarcastic or maybe, I don't know, ironic. I've I got to mixed up which one it is. But they, they're giving advice to young husbands and they say to the young husband, um, the best thing you can do for your uh, wife when she is, uh, being, is really mad at you is to say, Honey, calm down, you're being irrational. <laughs> Words don't work like the Spirit. Words don't work like the Holy Spirit. Let Him do the, the work. Let it be His. Let it be His work. Now I'll read this last poem to you here. And by the way, she was talking about Franklin Graham. Shoebox guy. Operation Christmas Child guy. That's who she was talking about. That's the son that was astray. And I believe it was from 17 to 22 years old when he was... Doing that. I bring those whom I love to you, commit each to your loving care, then carry them away again, nor leave them there. Forgetting you who lived to die and rose again care more than I. So back I come with my heart's load, confessing my lack of faith in you alone, addressing all I cannot understand to you who do. You know each heart, each hidden wound, each scar, each one who played a part in making those we bring to you, the ones they are, and dearer each to you than to us by far. So I now give them to your loving care with a thankful heart, and I leave them there. That was a resolution of her to leave that child in the hands of God and allow him to do the work he needed to do. I can't look at a big jar of pickles without thinking about loss. I think about that those jar, all those jars that rolled out of the car or broke out of the bag or someone knocked off the countertop onto the tile floor that cracked and, and they're wasted. There's no picking glass out of a pickle, is there? It's there. But look here, I'm fifty-something years old and I can afford a big old jar of pickles. It's to take them home. Probably not going to share them. Nah, I probably will. Every time I see a jar of pickles, I think about loss. And there's nothing that can't be fixed in the hands of the Lord. That Father can come in there and restore it all. And He'll do that with the prodigals in your life if you trust Him with them. It may be way longer Way longer than you hope it would be. But it's in His hands. Let's pray. Father, that we have people we know and people we don't know around us that are far from You. Lord, I pray that we would have the courage and the wisdom to trust You with them. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit works in their heart and their mind and that they would be drawn to you. That the desperation they feel would be identified with the absence of you. There are all those empty places in their their heart and mind that they're trying to fill with with, uh, lustful and and, uh, financial and experiential means, Father, those holes will be filled with You, that You'll fill them up and restore them and draw them into fellowship. And I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about the church, including contact information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.